to New Zealand Vegan Podcast, uh, episode 133. I'm your host, Elizabeth Collins, and I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. I just haven't got around to it yet. But before I go ahead, I want to uh, make a sad announcement that, well, I don't know if I talked about it much. Well, I think I have talked about it. I rescued about 18 mice from a really bad situation, and I had a lot of help from incredibly generous people who donated money to pay for their vet bills. I, Their vet bills cost over $3,000 um, total and luckily I had um, some money in savings and then I got donated over $1,000 and that was just for their vet bills alone and then there was all the rest of the stuff. But it was just so generous and I feel an obligation to everyone because people, people donated money and... And I have not, I, you know, I know it's silly and I know they're not, I mean, if I donate money to someone, I don't, you know, try to hold them, oh, well, you have, uh, well, anyway, so Bubbles was the mom, a mouse, and she was, she'd been through so much, I mean, she was the one who was breeding and breeding and breeding, there was another female mouse who had been used for breeding, there was two other female, sorry, two other female mice, but Bubbles had, was nursing. She had just given birth. To, the day she was rescued was literally the same day that, that um, Popcorn and Snowflake were born, and they were her last two babies. And she was the mother of all the other babies. She's Blaze's mother. She was Bandit's mother. She is um, Bibi and Scooter's mother. I mean, I'm pretty sure she's she, she was bred and bred and bred. And it's very, very hard on their little bodies that's not how it happens in the wild. They don't get impregnated instantly in the wild because they, um, it's not the same situation. They're not trapped in a cage with each other. So I was always worried about bubbles and I'm very, very sad to say that on Wednesday morning, about three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I had I had thought I had heard some squealing. You know, they always squeal and fight every now and then. I mean, no, nothing serious. Um, it's natural that they would do that, being trapped in the cages. But something just felt wrong, and and I got up and I was and I always check on everybody by getting the sunflower seeds out and getting everyone to come running over and I have a good look at them and I give them a sunflower seed. And Bubbles would not come and get her sunflower seed. And I um, was very concerned by this. Um, she didn't even poke her little nose. So I was, and I looked inside the nest for her, and I couldn't find her. So I brought the cage down, and I looked in the hammock, and Gentle Boy was in the hammock, and Bubbles was in the hammock, breathing very heavily, distressed, respiratory distress. This is three o'clock in the morning, so I instantly panic. There's nowhere for me to take her at three o'clock in the morning. There's one vet in Auckland who does exotic animals as they're called uh, mice and rats and and birds and lizards and they didn't open till eight in the morning and so I took her out of the cage and I put her with me in bed and I kept a very close eye on her and I kept her warm and under the covers with me and I was watching her and she calmed right down and her breathing calmed down and I didn't stay awake enough I she calmed right down and everything was okay and I said all right I'll take her to the vet the next day well I had no choice but of course the next day you know she was breathing very very distressed again and I took her to the vet and 
they instantly put her in an incubator because they assumed it was a respiratory disease like bronchitis or pneumonia or I said well what is it heart failure maybe because I was feeling so frantic that it can't be pneumonia it can't be pneumonia because that means all the other mice are at risk especially the two who are in the cage with her gentle boy and bubble and um and blaze anyway they battled for two days to try to save her they were giving her antibiotics every time they tried to give her meds she would have a paroxysm and go into panic and the poor vets were doing everything they could and she she died um she passed away and of course I was devastated and um I was I'm being very nervously frantically thinking oh my god is it bacterial pneumonia how could this happen after so long I adopted them in November how could and they said yes it can remain dormant there are some who are carriers yes it can manifest at a later date this has happened but anyway they um convinced me I mean she was already gone and I went to pick up her little body I I went I went and visited her the night she had been in the incubator all night and then the next day and I said, I'm coming to visit her tonight because every day was a treasure. And I just thought, I, I have to go and see her. I can't just leave her there. I have to see her. And I want her to hear my voice. I know she knows my voice. And so I went and I visited her at the end of the, after work. And I, and she came out and she was eating, but she was still not doing well at all. And then I went home and then they tried to give her her evening medication and she died. And I went straight back to pick up her body and the vet was very they said you know we really we can do an autopsy we can do a post-mortem and we can find out what's going on and I said yes okay they they talked me into it because I thought well it's important to know they said listen we can't guarantee that we're going to find anything but if we can we can at least tell you and at least you can be aware and you know at least you're aware and it turned out that she had a massive enormous growth in her chest cancerous tumor big big growth you couldn't visit you couldn't see it from the outside and it was so big it took up a third of her entire chest cavity and it was pushing back on her heart and lungs that's how big it was and that is why she died and that is why she was going into respiratory distress and there was nothing they could do and there was nothing I could have done and it was awful but it was a relief because I was really scared about pneumonia and um, so she's gone and some amazing person well I paid the vet bill which is not something I expect and anyway I'm going to pass that forward so somebody I went to pick up her body the second time and that somebody had paid the bill which was at least I don't know hundreds of dollars and I'm so grateful to them and I just couldn't believe the feeling and they won't take the money and I said I want to pay it back and they said no this is us passing on something that was done for us and uh, we had this beautiful gesture done for us we're passing it on to you we know the feeling it felt amazing you are not alone this is love and you pass it on so I now have this beautiful gift that I'm going to pass on to somebody uh, whenever I can, they're going to have uh, a terrible situation, they're going to have someone ill and needing, whether they, whatever, and I'm going to ring up the vet and say, I'm paying the bill, and I'm going to pass it on, and pass that beautiful thing on, so I just, 
am so touched. I'm very sad. I buried bubbles last night under next to Buddha, and there's these beautiful, beautiful flowers that um, Sophie's mother gave me. They were bulbs. They were freesias, and they're they're blossoming wonderfully. White flowers and. And Bubbles is gone, and I was very worried about Gentle Boy and Blaze. I've always been worried about Bubbles because of the toll that everything took on her body. I've always been nervous about her. She's always never been quite as bright as the others. Her surgery was more harrowing. She had this massive uterus from having all these pregnancies, and it was always I was always concerned about her. I didn't expect her to go so soon, but... I was also very concerned about what would happen with Gentle Boy and Blaze. I just thought the dynamic in the cage would change and they might start fighting and being vicious and I was just so terrified. Well, I am happy to say they have bonded even closer. They they were they knew Bubbles was dying because they were right with her. I did want to, them to smell her body, but I think it might have been a bit of a mistake. I think they didn't need that. I think it scared them I didn't mean to scare them I just wanted them to know she was gone but I think they knew because she was dying and they were right there with her and then they know so when she left when I took her out away I think they knew but anyway they are bonded they are they've been looking for her but I think they you know I mean they were acting a little bit but they're so close like it's like this brought them closer and they're sticking together and they're just really brotherly love so that's a relief anyway that's the story of Bubbles the mouse and I am grateful to all the love anyway that's that's the end of my tribute to Bubbles but I'm galvanized because today we did our street stall and it's been a while since we've done one just because of weather and all kinds of things and um, it was a beautiful sunny day but the wind was icy 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 cold that's always a bit of a challenge not a lot of people want to stop and stand and stand around and talk in the shade uh in the freezing cold wind but we still had a great day and it was myself and Jeff and we had beautiful gorgeous cupcakes donated to us by Sophie um, her cupcakes are not only delicious but they're really spectacularly decorated it, it does make a difference I can't decorate my cupcakes as well um, and people are always so impressed but that's just one of the things that we do we had a great day it was compounded by the fact that somebody who's come to the stall a few times had announced to us today he's going vegan and today's his first day going gonna being vegan and he's just made that decision. I don't know if he was already deciding to do it today or if he's, he'd been like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then he saw us and he was like, right, I'm doing it today. Or maybe he was actually going to do it today and then luckily we were there. But it was really nice to hear that. But, you know, you have these great conversations with people and I know that sounds really... To some people I know that just doesn't sound inspiring, you know. We're not shouting or, you know, screaming or making people cry or whatever but great conversations that's really really important it, these conversations are incredibly important you're listening to people and you're talking with people and they their minds are you know the ideas are so powerful they're not my ideas they're the abolitionist approach ideas which are formulated by Gary Francione but they are so incredibly powerful and if you internalize them and you learn them and you practice them and you get used to articulating them the effect is ama amazing because so many people respond in a, a really amazing way 
you can see it happen right in front of your eyes. I've talked about that before. It happened a couple of times today. Even my last conversation, I was already packing up. Jeff had to go, so he'd already gone. The sun was going down. I was completely frozen from head to toe. I was packing up. All the cupcakes were gone. And somebody came along. And, you know, people still, like, it usually happens, right, when you're packing up, people will want to stop and talk. And, of course, I'm going to put the time aside and talk to them because every opportunity I get is, you know, incredible opportunity it's just so wonderful and when you're at a street stall and people have and they're just a Saturday afternoon and they're sort of hanging around it's it's so great because you can have 25 minute long conversations with this person and that's a really it's really great to do that because sometimes when you're at work or if you're in the middle of walking around the supermarket or something it's fantastic to have these um, encounters with people and if you can plant some seeds and get them thinking that's great and I always really think that those are invaluable but it's really nice to be able to really unpack it all and they come back and you can spend as much time as this person needs to answer all of their questions or to air all of their thoughts themselves and nobody's in a rush and you're not out the door and, and the bell isn't ringing or whatever the case may be. And you that's what I love about a street stall. You have time to really explore these things with people. Time that you don't always get with your family or with your friends or with your work colleagues. If you're lucky enough to have friends and family who are interested in, in their leisure time sitting down with you and really talking about these things, well, I'm so envious of you because my family are not. And my work colleagues are so busy. I mean, we have these fleeting things and I try very, very hard to be succinct and to really put it out there because I've had all those questions at work. I've had questions about, well, what about pest, you know, pest animals? What about this? What about that? And I'm like, all right, I only have like three minutes. I better get this really right. And, I, and I've learned how to do that. But it's so nice. It's, it's a luxury to be able to talk for 25 minutes with somebody or however long they need or however long they require before they're satisfied, before they go away and say, right, I'm really going to go away. I've, I've had so many questions answered. And I always say to them, you know, email, you know, you've got my email address, email me with more questions. Nobody ever emails me, ever. I'm doing something wrong there, but they've got my email. They just never email me. But it is, it's a luxury. So for those of you who are, live busy lives, as we all do, and you are doing your vegan advocacy in your everyday life and you know you you have these conversations and then it's interrupted because you're at work or whatever the case may be do a street store because you can have these really long conversations it's it's really therapeutic for you as well i mean that's just an ancillary what is it ancillary benefit or whatever um that's not why you should you know it shouldn't be all about you but it is a great experience and also you learn so much and you practice articulating things and you have time to read the reaction and if you feel like, okay, this person is not reacting how I want them to, you can either stop and say, listen, tell me what you think, tell me what you think and then you can get an idea, okay, what what is it that, you know, how, how should I approach this particular individual with these with these arguments? The arguments and the position doesn't change. The moral position doesn't change. But all those people who are so confused and think that we know nothing about human psychology or that we have no idea that everyone's different and people take time and la la la. Come on. I mean, of course we do. We read, you know, we try our best to read the person in the moment and we do the best we can and nobody's a magician and nobody can really read anyone's mind. But you can tell 
when you're talking with someone, if the things you're saying aren't resonating and then you can say, okay, I need to regroup because I really want to keep this person interested and let me ask them, what, what do you think? And then they'll, they'll tell you what they're thinking and then you can address that. Just be aware, just be careful though of when they try to digress or they try to um, go off on a tangent because it's very uncomfortable for anyone to face um, the implications of their own actions if those implications are negative, which is what non-veganism is, obviously. So be careful if, if, you, if you ask them what they think and then they want to talk about this movie that they saw or something that's not related at all to veganism. Because you're at a stall and you have all this time and it's in their own time and they are the ones stopping and taking time out of their day to come and talk to you, um, you can hear them out, but you always, you sort of obligated to bring it back. And they can't really object to that because you're standing there in front of a sign saying, you know, conversation about veganism or vegan information or whatever. So they're not going to be surprised when you bring it back, you know, to veganism. So anyway, it was a great day as always. And I just wanted to share that. But what I wanted to talk about today is something that I've been promising to talk about. And I haven't really done it. It's almost sort of laziness or a desire to not go back into these... Um, focusing on sort of welfareism in, my, in myself or how should I put it, going and reading sort of pages and pointing out sort of the depressing kind of stuff. But but basically I want to tackle, this is this is New Zealand centric, but it, it's applicable to all over the world. I've, I've had a couple of conversations with people and there's this really common uh, experience that people have in terms of to me, I articulate it differently. I view it differently. But they say, well, I went vegan because I saw a welfareist campaign or I went vegan because I saw some undercover footage. Therefore, if, if that's what made me vegan, then why are you why are you opposing it? it? You know, it worked for me. And they're very loyal to it. They're loyal to the groups who did it. But I always answer now, now that I've thought about it, really carefully and including in my own case because the first video that I saw was a PETA video and I've written about that on my site and I'll post a link if you're interested. Um, what I always say is no you didn't go vegan because you saw a single issue campaign. You went vegan because you learned about veganism and that's to me is so important and what do I mean by that? Well what I mean is Except for very few exceptions, most people don't see a chicken in a cage and then suddenly make the connection to veganism. We actually don't have the tool. Nowadays, we might have more tools for that because veganism is so out there. It's getting so publicized. It's getting so much attention. And even though it's being confused and misrepresented and distorted and perverted and all the terrible things that happen to a lot of these issues, it's it's still out there. So maybe we're creating an environment for future people where they will make a quicker connection on their own. But generally speaking, they don't. They see this issue and they see it as an animal issue and like, but then they maybe meet some vegans because a lot of the people pushing these welfareist campaigns are vegan and maybe they'll talk and then they'll somehow luckily get exposed to veganism and then they'll go vegan because they were exposed to veganism, not because they saw a chicken in a cage or a, or whatever and made the connection. Um, with dairy products, there, there are a lot of vegetarians who don't 
actually know the truth about dairy, but there are plenty who do. Uh, and they might have seen something and and then they've realized they want to give up dairy. But veganism is more than diet. So if you're going vegan, you're not just eating a vegan diet. So I always argue, I always question, I don't necessarily assume that I'm correct, but I say, tell me, did you learn about veganism from learning about veganism? Or did you just figure it out on your own? And nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they learned about veganism through learning about veganism. So what do I mean by that? Well, Yes, they got in touch with veganism and vegans because of some single issue campaign or some welfareist campaign. This is what they're telling me, so I have to believe them, right? They're not making it up. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we should still be promoting these speciesist campaigns? My answer, of course, is no. Now, I would argue that somebody like that, somebody who went vegan after seeing some kind of video of whatever the case may be, but after seeing the video, then they met vegans or they finally found their way to veganism or veganism find their, found its way to them and they went vegan. I just, ref, I, just am, I just don't believe that if those people had met a vegan at a street stall or at an event or in the street or in the supermarket or wearing a t-shirt or whatever who was advocating veganism for the same uh, sort of with the same kind of of reasoning you know as in about the animals not about you know health or whatever the case may be that those people would not have gone vegan because of it. So what what it seems what a lot of people seem to say is like, well, I would have only gone vegan if I had seen this welfareist campaign. If I had seen a vegan campaign, I wouldn't have gone vegan. They're not necessarily saying that, but some people some people do. So my question to them is, do you really believe that you wouldn't have gone vegan if you had come across unequivocal vegan advocacy, creative nonviolent that does talk about the horrific treatment? Because we do talk about the horrific treatment. It's not we're not talking about making treatment more humane, but you can't avoid talking about the way the slaves, you know, the victims are treated because, you know, they they are treated horrifically, whether you whether you like it or not. But we're very quick to add. Like I had a conversation today, okay? with someone who was talking about um, veganism in terms of the massive amounts of animals and how they just, the there's just so many, you know, this, this big, huge, intensive farming. And I said, yes, okay, I understand it. But I said, listen, that's the problem, that we think about these animals as things. You're thinking about a million things. Every single one of those million, I just was pulling figures out of the air and using cows, for example. I said, every single one of those million cows is an individual cow. And that individual is 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 is, is suffering and is going to be slaughtered. Think about it on that level, because that way, yes, a million is, is just horrific, a thousand is, is, is horrific. A million's worse than a thousand, but a thousand is still because each of those thousand is an individual. And I said, and even if it was just one, even if it was just one cow and her baby, don't you see that that's still wrong? Because that's, it's her. So take that big, huge factory farming thing that's in your head and break it down to the individuals in it. That is what we need to focus people on. Animal use, not animal treatment, not amounts, not quantities. Personhood. 
and and it made an impact. Of course it did, because this is someone who does care, but they just hadn't quite thought about it that way. They were thinking about amounts, and they were thinking, well, you know, because if it was just a local farm or whatever, and I said, no, you know, you don't understand, or you're not thinking about it you know, about it on an individual level. Think about it on an individual level. Of course a million is a horrific amount, and we're talking billions anyway, but if you break those down to individuals, then you'll realize that that any amount is wrong because that individual, right? So whether it's five or two or a thousand, each one of those. So we have to be careful because a lot of people are, are thanks to the animal movement, are focused on factory farming. They're focused on the amount. They're focused on the treatment. Remember to keep it focused on the on the personhood of those non-human animals. So anyway, what was I doing? I went on a tangent myself. Yeah, so that's my argument. So another thing, so I, I was talking to someone. Well, I wasn't talking. I, was, I just left a comment and they had said, listen, I agree with you, your abolitionist approach, and I've had this many, many times. I'm not singling. This has been something that I've had, seen a comment many times from many people all over the world. And they said, look, I agree with their abolitionist approach, but I think that these exposés are important because if that was the exposé, and I saw this exposé about these dairy cows in New Zealand, and that's why I went vegan. And I said, I think you went vegan because you heard about veganism. Um, That's really why I think you went vegan. You might have gotten in the vicinity of veganism because of this expose because it was vegans doing it and thank goodness when you you were open to veganism so maybe they mentioned it to you or whatever the case may be but it was veganism that turned you on to veganism the expose might have put you in touch with vegans but I would argue that if you had been in touch with vegans who were unequivocally advocating veganism without this animal welfare group because that's what they are and their expose you would you would be vegan you would be vegan today as well and i and i haven't looked i haven't really investigated this um thing it was very big in new zealand and it was a it was a dairy um because safe is this animal as we know the animal corporate animal welfare group in new zealand and they they don't ever talk about dairy but they actually did an expose on dairy for the fir- maybe for the first time specifically about um, these bobby calves but it was totally about welfare and I said to the person you know the problem with these groups who you are supporting because in your mind and in your heart this group is the one who brought you to veganism and you know that is your experience you saw this expose by this group however you got exposed to veganism because of vegans whatever in this group now this group to you is this is this thing and I said but there's all this there are so much damage being done by people who might not have been have seen the, the vegan part they're just focusing on the the um the treatment part and i said and this group provides these videos for safe because i knew they did um the group is called farm watch that's a i don't know if it's just New Zealand or if it's a, an international group but anyway Farm Watch New Zealand and I've known about them for a while so they, they do these undercover things but they provide their footage for SAFE who uses them for their welfareist campaigns and that's the problem that's a huge part of the problem it's just so incredibly huge 
I really wish people would really examine, just go deep, read Gary Francione's books. It's not pleasant to read the terrible truths about the damage of welfare, but it's so important for you to do it. And remember, you would have gone vegan. I know you would have gone vegan if you learned about veganism from a vegan and a vegan campaign that didn't focus on treatment. I just know you would. It was just silly to think that you wouldn't. Um, but the damage that these campaigns do on the other side is just so outweighing and they're so speciesist. And another thing I would say to people is, and I've said this before, is like, you know, yeah, you, you, you're, you've gone vegan yourself, but you're a vegan who's promoting these welfareist groups. That's a problem, you know. We need to stop that. So I went on the, so in order to do this podcast, I thought I need to be informed and I can't just be talking, you know, out my you know, just, I can't just be, I need to get some facts, and I, so I have to go on the website, and I did, and sure enough, um, farmwatch.co.nz, um, the, um, Bobby Calf campaign, and I went on the Bobby Calf campaign, and, which is the one this person was talking about, which is, which is the one that they aired on TV, which is the one that was safe, was, so, was, was using, so, um, it talks about calves being born during midwinter frosts with no shelter. Well, what does that imply? That it's not about that the calves are being born and exploited and used, it's that they don't have any shelter, right? Distressed cows having their babies taken away from them shortly after birth. Well, we talk about that, so that's fair enough. Um, calves that had been killed by farm workers and thrown onto dead piles at farm gates. Who cares where they were thrown? It's the fact that they were killed, that they shouldn't even be bred into existence. Here's another one. Calves left in crates on the side of the road with no shelter, food, or water. Oftentimes in extreme weather conditions for over eight hours despite law requiring them to be fed two hours before transportation. Who cares that they're required to be fed two hours before transportation? These calves should not be being brought into existence and taken from their mothers and killed, period. So as you can see, the rhetoric is very welfareist. And I know that some people can't see it, but it is. And the problem is that we have some people who are very... They're more than happy to stay blind. They're more than happy to stay asleep. And this is helping them to stay asleep. This is helping them to think that it's about treatment and that it's about shelter and it's about water and it's about being fed two hours before transportation. And it's not about use. You know, truck drivers roughly throwing calves into the back of trucks. So if they'd placed them carefully, then it's okay. Right? Do you, I, hope that, I hope you understand what I mean. Like, think about the big picture, right? So... Yes, this is horrific. All of this description and truth that they expose is horrific. But that is the nature of animals as property. And then it says, a slaughterhouse worker violently kicking, hitting, and throwing helpless calves. This is really distressing information, and I'm very sorry to be telling vegans listening about this, but you already know. Um before bludgeoning them and slitting their throats. So what is the issue? That he was violently kicking and hitting? What should he have done? Just grabbed them in the industry standard way and slit their throats? I mean, it's completely welfareist, okay? Um, and Farmwatch supplies um, with this TV sh Sunday show, and it was submitted 
This footage was, I'm quoting this from the website, this footage was also submitted to the Ministry for Primary, Primary Industries, which is the government organization responsible for animal welfare. The Sunday Show discovered during their interviews that MPI had not followed up on the footage despite having received it in September 2015. It's a current open investigation, right? So how is this not completely welfareist? How is this not completely about treatment? How is this not telling the Ministry of, the ministry of Primary Industries, who is re the organization responsible for animal welfare, these pieces of property, hey, there's a problem with the treatment here. You need to make it better. We discovered all of these things that were unnecessary in, in regards to this um, industry um, of, of bobby calves. Even the necessary stuff, let's say they hadn't been thrown onto dead piles at the farm gates, but they had been properly disposed of. Let's say they had been born in the shelters. Let's say they hadn't been roughly thrown into the back of trucks, but they had been picked up and placed in the backs of trucks. Let's say the slaughterhouse worker hadn't violently kicked and hit and threw them and bludgeoned them, but just slit their throats or just did whatever the, their standard slaughterhouse method is. Is that, I mean, is that not a problem? So, you know, if you're going to do an expose, please, can you do an expose of normal standard practice and say, hey, this is normal standard practice. If you want to drink milk, this is what happens. And, and this is the best treatment of all. This is the top, top, top welfare of our country. This is what you're paying for. I mean, I don't necessarily agree because you're still focusing on treatment, but do you get my point? So listen to this. So the Fonterra director said the nutritional benefits far outweigh the practice of getting that milk. Oh, right. So, yeah, Fonterra, forget that. He's just talking about like how it's supposedly nutritional. I'm sorry. So I don't know why they, I don't know why they quoted him there. It's completely unnecessary, whatever. Listen to this. This is also from the website, the same thing. Multiple organizations within the dairy industry repeatedly claim that New Zealand maintains high welfare standards and that animal welfare is part of our national national brand. Farmwatch has disproved that claim by showing widespread evidence of systematic welfare industry issues within the New Zealand dairy industry. Consumers have the right to know about how milk is produced and what this means for the animals. It's very, very welfareist. There's no mention of veganism. What they say is that Farmwatch strongly believes that local and international consumers will be horrified by what they see in this footage and are urging everyone to pledge to ditch dairy. That's the last line. So this is their token nod towards partial veganism. That's what this group has done. Probably so that they can turn around and tell people like me who are criticizing them, no, 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 we say that it's all about veganism. Look, we're saying ditch dairy. I'm really sorry. I mean, look, I have been, I have been looking and reading about this stuff for a long, long, you know, for not that long, like maybe nine, eight years. And I am sorry, but this is just more welfareism, more focus on treatment. And yes, some people are um, going to ditch dairy, but a huge amount of people are going to, it's going to just entrench these animals in the, in the welfare's paradigm 
all this entire blog post does is entrench these animals. It doesn't make any mention of the fact that they should not be bred into existence for our use, period. It doesn't make any mention of the fact that no matter how gently they're placed in the trucks, no matter how gently their throats are slit, or whether their dis- bodies are disposed of, you know, supposedly correctly instead of being thrown into dead piles, doesn't, none of that matters. These individuals, they should not be bred into existence for our use and that we have an obligation to to go vegan because this is just one aspect of animal use. I mean, again, this is a single issue, but I mean, it focuses on dairy. So it's like, hello, vegetarians, you know, even, even like wake up, but it doesn't even talk about that. So anyway, that's that's my response to this expose, which I already knew. And SAFE, the biggest animal welfare group in the country, who are a corporate business, they require donations to pay their wages. These people, I know how expensive it is to live in New Zealand. I am telling you, these employees in New Zealand, these SAFE people, they have to, at a bare minimum, be paying themselves at least thirty to $40,000 a year. And that is a conservative estimate, okay? at the minimum $30,000 a year in order to live the lives that, that they're living, unless they're living in poverty, and they are not living in poverty. So imagine that they need at least $30,000 a year per employee, and that's just for their wages. Of course they focus on treatment, because that's how they get donations. Does that Okay, so this group, I would never promote this expose. I don't care if you come to me and tell me that you went vegan because of this expose. Again, my response is you went vegan from learning about veganism. And if you are one of those rare people who saw a picture of a dead calf on the ground and made all the connections in your head, I envy you. I wish I had that insight. Most of us apparently don't. I certainly didn't. Now, further to this group, they are so safe again used that footage for their massive campaign which was all about calling for the welfare um you know our new zealand welfare company um sorry new zealand welfare um standards they often talk about new zealand's image and about how we're letting our tourism down there is zero mention of the fundamental rights of these non-humans not to be property zero zero zip zilch nada Okay, more on this page. They're they're um they've they've got the rodeo campaign. Um, so safe SPCA and Farmwatch have joined forces. So that's just a single issue campaign. I'm hoping I don't need to go into that. I mean, we know all about these single issue campaigns. They're talking about the rodeo. A lot of people don't go to rodeo, so they're getting all these petitions. They're not challenging people. You know, they're they're talking about the welfare of the bobby calves. But they're not saying um, that it's a, it's a fundamental rights violation for the mothers and their babies and all animals to be used, period. And then they've got the single issue rodeo campaign. Then they've got um, Farmwatch is the one who did the pig campaign, which was all about the, the um, which was all about safes. Um, sow crate campaign. They've got a greyhound racing campaign. They've got a battery farm, uh, a, a battery kin farm campaign. It's, they're completely welfareist, completely welfareist. This group, Farmwatch, is 100% welfareist, and I'm sorry, but I do not support that for so many reasons. I think that vegans should be doing, forget these groups, forget these exposés. You can actually tell people, remind people of the obvious fact that the animals whom they are eating 
had to be killed in order to be turned into chops and pork chops and steaks and blah blah blah. Educate people about the fact, the biological fact that cows are mammals, they need to get pregnant in order to produce milk, in order to take the milk, we must remove the babies. You don't need to show a slaughterhouse worker violently kicking a helpless baby calf. You just need to remind people that helpless baby calves are being brought into existence in order to take the milk from their mothers and these calves are disposable. They are a waste product, but they are turned into profit, oftentimes into veal. And if not, they're just disposed of. And you don't need to show, don't need to talk about the, them being born without shelter. You just need to talk about them being bred into existence at all. And if all the vegans in the country, I'm just even just New Zealand, if every single vegan was just learning abolitionist theory, remembering about the moral personhood, taking it down to the individual level, forget the focus on battery farms, forget the focus on treatment and promote unequivocal veganism, the moral personhood of non-human animals, give out vegan recipes because people need the equipment, they need the knowledge, they need the help, they need the practical guidance, make sure that you are eating properly yourself and that you're healthy and that you're informing people responsibly, responsibly about a uh, about a, a vegan diet, you know, be responsible, tell people about B12, don't hide anything. There's no problem with the fact that we have to um, supplement with B12. It's completely and utterly acceptable and explainable to people. Don't be scared about this silly argument that people say, that non-vegans say, that, oh, well, you have to supplement with B12, so it's not natural. I just eat animals, so I get my B12 naturally. I mean, the, I don't, surely I don't even have to tell you the sort of illogical fallacy of that argument. Um there's, should I say it, just in case, because I didn't really need necessarily know, just in case somebody hasn't heard this or needs to how, know how to respond. First of all, um, there is vegan forms of B12, so the, the, the fact that we, can that we can supplement safely B12 from non-violent sources means that we have no right to, sub to, to get our B12 from violent sources. They get their B12 from slaughtered animals, we get our B12 from um, vegan sources. It's not a moral justification. Number two, another thing which I've learned, which I think is pretty accurate. Sometimes I don't necessarily trust all of my information, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Most of the animals we eat, they cannot get B12 from plants either because the plants that we grow are so sterilized and B12 has been sort of removed from the earth. So those animals are um, injected with B12. So you're getting... Uh, you're eat, you know these vegans are these sorry these non-vegans are eating these bodies which who which have been injected with B12 probably a vegan version but you know they've been grown on a bacterial like it's just a bacteria and it's been injected into them and then that's how they're getting it anyway because these animals aren't getting B12 anyway so don't worry be honest with people be straight up so you need to um, eat lots of leafy greens and you need to eat lots of iron rich foods and heme iron is best absorbed with vitamin C non-heme iron is apparently medically I don't know I think this is true more easily absorbed non-heme iron is sorry non-heme iron oh now I'm not getting my facts straight okay heme iron I need to get my sorry I know this I just having having a momentary lapse of um um Right. So, sorry, heme iron is more easily absorbed, allegedly, and it could be very true. Um, it's uh, from animals, okay? So, um, non-heme iron is the iron that we vegans get, and it's less, 
less easily absorbed by our bodies. Therefore, the um, the best way to absorb it is with absorbic acid, which is vitamin C. So you always tell people, yes, non-heme iron is less absorbable. Doesn't mean it's not absorbable. It's just slightly less absorbable. I'm looking at a website here which says that heme iron is typically absorbed at 7 to 35%. Non-heme is typically absorbed at 20 to 20%. So we can still get up to the 20% there. And some non-heme, and sorry, and some heme is still only down to 7%. So it's not that it's not absorbable, but it's more absorbable with vitamin C. So I always tell, you know, I learned that from the BVA nutritional pamphlet that, you know, so you tell people these truths and you say, listen, I'm telling you stuff so that you can become a responsible, healthy vegan and stay healthy because you have an obligation to do that. You have a moral obligation to do that because we have no right to be doing this to these animals. So you be honest with them, you know, don't, don't, don't try to hide things from them and say, oh, well, I'll tell them later, you know, I'll tell them these little tricky things later. No, you tell them all straight up. They will appreciate your honesty. And if you're clear about the animal rights issue, then they will get it. They will understand exactly where you're coming from. There will be no confusion, no subterfuge, which so many of these welfare things are subterfuge. I mean, even if you go to that farm watch thing and they're talking about, we urge all consumers to ditch dairy. And then they're like, see, we've done all this stuff about treatment. But what we're really saying is we want people to ditch dairy, but we're not going to come right out and say, go vegan. Oh, you know, we're going to be all subterfuge about it. But then when the vegans protest and say, hey, you're not promoting veganism, we can point to the last line of our big welfareist essay and say, yeah, yeah, we are, CCC. So they're trying to talk out both sides of their mouths and it's, sorry, it doesn't work with me. Anyway, so that's my rant for the day. I'm a little hyped up because we haven't done that street so and I'm, it's so nice to get back out there and we had such a good day. Um, and so it was really exciting. The last street stall that we did, oh, I might have done a podcast afterwards, I'm not sure. Um, there was uh, a mm, in our usual spot it was taken up by a um, group who was promoting Islam but they were trying to promote they weren't just trying to show educate people about Islam because a lot of the the, the poor Muslims are trying so desperately to combat Islamophobia and they're saying so they're having these Muslim meet a Muslim day like see we're not we're not terrorists um, and um, and that's happening a lot and that's great but this one would seem to be promoting the religion almost like you know the evangelicals are out there and they were saying you know Muslim this and oh, Islam and, and pr- sort of trying to convert people and um, so people were staying well clear because you know, no matter what, when you see a religious group trying to convert people, I don't care if it's the Christians or the whatever, there's a lot of people who sort of make a wide burst. So we didn't have such a great day because we had to move up further and there was this big um, sort of um, thing about religion um, right there in our spot and we just didn't have such a great day last time we did the store. But we still got to have some good conversations. We still got to meet people, but it was just a little, you know, external things can influence how your day goes. The weather, obviously, today, like I said, was a freezing cold wind. It really affected people's desire to stop and talk to us uh, because it was a freezing cold. And and then last time we were right next to this, they were just sort of avoiding the whole area. So yeah, this can happen, but we still, even one conversation's worth it. I mean, what else would you be doing? Would you just be at home reading a book? One conversation, one more vegan. Do you know how incredible that could be? That person could go on to start their own street stall in their city. You just never know. And you know how many people they will reach? It's exponential. So never 
never discount being out there. And if you have a sign big enough, even if nobody stops, which somebody will, I'm telling you, especially nowadays, somebody will stop. Um, if you have a sign big enough, you're still putting it out there and you're still, um, and even if people just run past, a lot of people times they're too busy, but they grab a, a few pamphlets. They just like, I'm in a hurry, but I, let me grab some pamphlets and they take them away and read them. So it's always, always worth it. And if you're doing it with a friend, it's fun and you get to vent and you get to talk about veganism, you get to stand up for animals, you get to be unequivocal, you get to have long, detailed conversations and really get into the nitty gritty. I'm telling you, this is how we're going to change the world. Grassroots. This is how we're going to change the world. All right. So that's it. I really hope that this podcast was useful and I hope I was made sense and... Um, um, and I'm going to leave it there for the day and I'll be back probably, um, soon, um, and have a great, uh, vegan day and I'll be back. Bye.